my gosh. Welcome back to another episode of Relative Pitch Season 4. Wow, it has been too long since you all have seen our faces. It has. It has. It's been like, what, May? Oh gosh, and it's August. I mean, all good reasons though, right? Everyone needs a break. So, and not that any of us really took a break. Right between then and now, but we'll get into that later. But it's so good to be back and to be in conversation again, a public conversation. Um, I'm really excited for this season. We have some amazing guests who are already lined up to come and, and chat with you all. Make sure you check out the website, know who's coming on, what to expect. Go back and check out past episodes. But yeah, Anthony and Michael, wow. How are we feeling? Season four. Um, has it been four years? It hasn't been four years. It, I mean. Cause I mean, we do this every August. Like we start in August and this is season four. Yeah. That means this is the fourth act. We do academic years here. Oh, of course. Right. This the is fourth. our fourth academic year. This is honestly for anybody that started listening when they were like a freshman in college. You're they're seniors, they're literally about to be done with oh. their entire undergraduate career right now. That's crazy. Stop. That is real crazy. We're like, seniors, guys. It's our I, senior year. First of all, time is a social construct. That's number one. Uh, because I I don't know, in my head, I just cannot fathom four academic years that we've been doing this and like I mean every year has been bigger and better and you know just we really found out what relative pitch is like I think we all had a concept of what it was going to be first season but to see the vision back then to see the vision now it's just like oh mg and let's just talk about it let's let's let the cat out the bag this year we're literally going to be presenting at one of the largest international conferences in the entire world. Like, Um, let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. So it's like... The first conference we all went to together. Yes. And which is going to be so, like, nostalgic. Well, for anybody that is living on a rock, we are presenting at the Midwest Band and Orchestra Clinic um, this December in Chicago, Illinois, um, that was our first trip. I literally remember us three being sophomores in college. I was just like, I've heard about this conference. It's in Chicago. Let's go. Uh-huh. And we was like, all right, let's book the flight. We stayed at the Chicago Soft Loop Hotel. Girl, yeah. we did not do our research. We didn't do our research, but you know, we was, we was in the room. We were in the room and that's all that matters. Because we, you know, we got our flight, and honestly, it, that kind of flight was a little scary. We went on American for any of you girls that are American. We prayed. We did. We did give a good uh, well, pray actually, and pray down. Actually, I think American was fine. It was United is the one that I think scared us the most. That's right. Yeah, That's right. and but I mean, I just remember being in those rooms for the first time of Midwest. Like, do y'all remember y'all first time, like, either going to a conference or hearing uh, one of the, like, best ensembles in the world perform? Like, do y'all remember that? Because I remember my experience. 
I think that first year, the two most memorable things was hearing Tom Hooten present on something and then hearing the Chicago Brass. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say going to hear Chicago Brass was definitely one of the like peak things I remember from our first time, for sure. I think I was a little overwhelmed. There were so those conferences and especially Midwest is huge. There's so many people there. There's so many things to do. So I was like, how do you pick? Well, like, what do you do? Like, how do I, where do I go? You know, and then having y'all who I didn't really know too much about the band world or, you know, in terms of like at large and like the orchestra world, it was nice having you to kind of guide me <laughs> along to tell me, oh, let's go here. Let's go here. And now I, I feel confident. I can like, oh, I know where to go. Like, it's good. So. Yes. I mean, I remember the session that I remember the most from my first year was definitely a session that was on Karel Husa because I think that was the year he had passed. And so they were doing this, um, this kind of kind of all-star group. Like Mallory Thompson was there. Frankie Batisti was there. Um, I, I remember think, this panel. Yeah. Gene Corporan was on the panel. Like all of these people that, you know, in undergrad, like I knew all these names. I'm like, they're like band royalty. And to kind of see them all on a panel talking about Karel Husa, which at the time I didn't really know Karel Husa at that time. Like, um, I didn't know music for Prague. I didn't know Smetna Fanfare. I just was like, I just need to be in this room. And, and for anybody that is like a first time going to Midwest or honestly, first time going to a conference, just go into rooms, like just go. And I ended up learning way much um, about Karel Husa and his music. Um, I mean, one of my favorite pieces is music for Prague now. And hearing those like first count stories, you know how like, well, me and Karel, we did this and we, and he liked this. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, you know how for me, I love when my like grandmother would tell stories and I just kind of sit there like, wow, you lived a life. Like, wow. So hearing their stories and their experiences with Karel Husa with me not even knowing his music at the time made me appreciate it way more and made me do my own research of like, well, seems like everyone knows who this person is. So I think I need to go do my own research. And it ended up becoming a great thing for me. But like, can we, because you said something that was actually really brilliant. A lot of people who listen to this podcast may be really young students and you may have never gone to any conference ever, or you may be really intimidated because you've heard Oh, if you go to a conference, you have to know who to talk to. You have to know this, da, da, da. Here's the whole thing. If that's your thing, if you want to go in and feel like you know everything already and you already have your hit list of people you want to talk to, that's an angle, right? But I think personally the best thing to do, first of all, if you're comfortable finding people to go with, go with. It always makes the experience a little bit more enjoyable, but also have this idea that you are going to learn. You are going there to learn, to gather information, to be around like-minded people. So don't feel like you have to know everything before walking into a room. Like Anthony said, find a room, find a word or something or a name that interests you and go, I want to know a little bit more about Karel Husa. I want to know a little bit more about Tom Hooten. Like, I want to know what this person is, why they seem like a huge draw and just lean into it. Take notes, take pictures. If you can't remember like where, you, you know what I mean? You never know how it's going to help later on in your life and your career. 
Yeah. And also you'll never know when you might be on that stage because that first year I also spent all of my time or the next year after I spent. I was about to say. In the Reynolds <laughs> Conducting Institute. Like these two, and... these two will tell you I, that all four days of Midwest for the time that Reynolds was going on, I was in the room. I was watching, I was listening, I was taking notes. Like I knew all the people that was in there. I knew like, I'm like, okay, this is what they're saying, this and that. So cut to like five years later, I am now the one conducting at Reynolds. So it's like, you never know what will happen. And I just remember being in, in that room, just so glittered eyed, I'm like, oh my gosh, like these people are conducting. Um, and like that year, uh, Michigan State, they were the players and um, um, Kevin Settertal was the, one of the clinicians and everything. Like it was just OMG. So you really never know when you might be on that stage. And now look at us as relative pitch, being in everybody else's session, and now we're presenting our own session. Look how the manifestation works just by going in, just by going in. You, and that's the thing, you just got to go. Like, first of all, you just got to go because it's great pers- uh, professional development. And I think it's also personal development when you go and push yourself to be outside your boundaries. I remember that my first ITG I went to, and I was like, I'm a little baby. I'm just a little baby. I was like, I know nobody. And then, like, over the years, you know, just friend people on Instagram, you know, swipe on all the stories, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, oh my God, I have like coffee dates and like we're going to go get lunches these days. It just happens slowly. Don't force it. Don't force it. Don't force it, especially when you're something that like, and that's like another thing, like at Midwest and other things, like if you try to force it, everybody's going to know just walk in, be yourself, find your group. You will find, it's just like high school. It's like high school. You're going to find your group. You're going to find the people you vibe with. And then you're going to see each other every year. Yep, It's going to be fun. Literally just be who you are. Because another thing about what is beautiful about conferences now, before I say what I'm about to say, are there some still bad things about conferences? Yes. We've talked about it. We've talked about it. Please go back. Literally, I think every season we have an episode about the cons of a conference. But what we're also saying is like, you still will find your group. You still will find something valuable. Also, don't be that person who's like, oh, I'm just coming here um, just for for the the hang, which uh, again, the hang is very important, but you're also here to learn something. Now I will say the hang is very important because you sometimes you do ended up learning more from just hanging out. That is correct. But you don't want to spend all your money because let me just tell you, registration fees for these conferences. You better enjoy it as a student. Right. Like you at least... Go see something that you never, never um, even thought about or heard about. Or even if you were like, okay, I do know a little bit about this session. Guess what? It's another um, uh, perspective on it. So go listen to that. Like what we're presenting uh, about community building. There have been community building sessions before, but there's never been like our session. Our session, one, 
brings in a lot of diverse perspectives, not just us three, but um, Dr. Jones, Dr. E, Dr. Um, Bushman, um, Professor Crawford. These are four different people that have a complete different perspectives on this topic that has never been heard before, heard before especially like with uh, Ashley Crawford. Yes. She's a, a flute instructor. She's a flute professor at a, a, a collegiate institution. I'm sure in the Midwest history, there really hasn't been a lot of inclusion of just uh, solo instrument professors on, on a panel like that. That is not already presenting on the instrument itself. So this mm -hmm. is completely different. So yes, has community building been a topic before? Yeah, and, it, and I'm sure it will be in the future after us. But we bring something completely unique. Oh, and yeah. let's just talk about it. Um, our panel is very diverse. Like, oh yeah. Here's the thing about it: we our like we put our money where our mouth is. Like, we, we could not sit here and talk diversity, accessibility, representation, innovation if you did not see that within all the work. First of all, we do as individuals, but what you see us do even outside of this podcast, like whenever we are out presenting, because there, there, we could just sit here and talk, and we do. But I love the thing that we all love about this is that we want to take it places. We want to say, this is what we do. Let's expand it. That's why I love the fact that we have on guests. We want to hear other people's perspectives. We like to share those perspectives with others because you're right. You can go to a conference and kind of know all the different topics that are going to be talked about every single year. How they're presented and who they're presented by is where you get the variation. Yep. Michael, is that what you're going to say? How about say, y'all, there's always going to at least be three about intonation. There's always going to be two about balancing. Always going to be about three about how to break down a score in a speedy process for us educators. I'm like, y'all, can we just come up with different names? It says say intonation, say pitch. Ooh. I don't know. I don't know. Just something different. Or stop presenting by intonation. If we haven't gotten it by now, we ain't gonna get it. But <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I'm gonna be devil's advocate for a little. Be a devil's advocate. You know, again, it's a different perspective on intonations. That's true. Know? And I feel like even at conferences, like sometimes you have to have a couple of topics that are like a recurring topic because again, yeah. sometimes it's your first time. It's the first time. And maybe I'm like looking for, maybe I've, I've been teaching in a small rural area that needs to know things about small band intonation. How do I do that? And there's usually a session about small bands and intonation like oh, yeah. that here. But yes, probably for me, I've heard that probably seven times now. But for a new person that's like, let me try Midwest for the first time, they're going to get something truly valuable from that. Oh, yeah. And what I truly do like, like I think this is a Midwest like staple, is these like little 15, 30-minute classes on the instruments. Yeah. That is one thing I do like because every year you can go and like go to a couple. Like one year, that's going to be your woodwind year. And really soaking that up. The next year, that's going to be your brass year. And really soak that, because like starting an instrument is hard. But you know, there's some like, but I'm, I don't know why it's the intonation one that always kills me. I'm like, y'all. But 
Maybe think about sound. Maybe. Different way of sound. But uh, two things. The first thing I would just have to say is like the concerts that you're going to hear. Go to all of them. Going to be some of your top concerts you've ever heard. Like I would never forget the U.S. Air Force Band yeah, a yeah. couple years ago. That was a show. That wasn't a concert. It was a show. It was a performance. Was a show. He came and shook our hands while his band was playing. Yes. God bless you. God he, bless said you. Got, he said, they got it. I'm going to come up there in a minute. And and then gave one of, one of the best performances of Four Scottish Dances. Mm. Um, a, a concert that I miss that I'm honestly hitting myself every single day, but the Baylor University concert last year. I heard that one was good. Everyone was like, that's crazy. But uh, another thing about Midwest, their, their promotion of new material. So there's always going to be ensembles that will play new music. Um, like last year was Viet Quang's, who is a former guest that's been on this podcast, his piece Bottle Signs with Eighth Blackbird that is like taking the, the, the world by storm right now, just like won an award recently. Like that was premiered by the U.S. Navy band with them. So it's just like, you're going to hear great music at a high level. Also, every band at that, especially high school and the middle schools have to play a certain extent of it. They have to play every grade level. Like you could be a beginning band person and you go here, this high school play a grade one or this community on a or college. Play a yes. Well, like they will play grade one through six, but the middle school, I think they play like what? One through four, one through five. I think one through four, you know, you yeah. can't really push middle school, but some have it. Like I, I say, one do Shepherd's Hay by Granger. Which, which school did that new, the new, um, oh my gosh. The the care it was it Carabina or Carabina? Oh, that was Vandergrift. Vandergrift, Omar Thomas. Oh which, my gosh, so fun. Let's talk about like that that kind of interaction because um so that school Vandergrift actually uh the the performance that got them to Midwest they did um come Sunday which if you don't know come Sunday about Omar Thomas listen to it it's a key we love it but. The, because that relationship was already there, Omar was like, well, here's a piece for you to actually premiere at Midwest. So it was like this beautiful kind of like family ties that happened um, when that came. And the other thing that I want to say was, have you some friends to go with? Because mm -hmm. like we, I was just telling one of my colleagues uh, last week, I was like, you know, the beautiful thing, about when we go to Midwest, we three know how to work together as a unit. <laughs> and it's the best way possible, but also the shadiest and, and pettiest way possible too. Like we we just know like, like I'm like, okay, this person's walking to us. All right, all right, y'all, let's, let's go ahead. Let's keep the conversation short. Let's, you know, move with one. <laughs> And the thing is, like, it doesn't even have to be said. It's just like, mm hmm got it. It's a shared brain we get when we go to conferences. Yes. I really appreciate it. And a, it's a beautiful definitely. thing that has happened, like, is that the relative pitch crew? It <laughs> is. And we eat lunch. And, right. 
lunch right now. It's so fun to be identified together, though. I know that some people can get really weird, and there have been many instances, especially with pop culture, with like bands and groups where they're like, I want to be seen as individual. But here's the thing we still are. We still, especially like in our own, where we run in our own circles, are known as us ourselves as individuals. But it's so nice when we go into a space like that where we would be, you know, oh, Anthony, that, that's kind of the space you really exist in. So it makes sense that, especially for you, you're doing Reynolds and everything, but also the fact that we are seen as a collective, in my opinion, is actually a huge compliment to how we work yes, together. I agree. I agree because, you know, especially like, as you said, popular culture, they're like, I want to be an individual. And it's like, well, I hate to say this because this sounds mean, but if you're doing your own thing, then if somebody say that you're part of a group, we'll just roll right off the tongue. Like, it will be completely fine. Um, like, we do every, we do so much separate, but when we come together, all of our accomplishments that we have accomplished through ourselves just amplify what Relative Pitch stands for, what it means for like, come on now, you know, it, it, to me, it's a big compliment. Thank you. We are Rose to Pitch. That's who is. we RP. But also another reason I think you should go with friends. We've talked about this, especially Anthony and Lauren has talked about this. It's so easy to idolize people in this industry. Like if you're a first year teacher, you go to this middle, you go see this Midwest middle school band and you're a middle school teacher and you're going to be like, I suck at my job. Or you go see these or see any of these presentations, any of them, and be like, oh, that is the only way to do it. Having a group of friends causes discourse mm-hmm. and causes dialogue. So, like, you can have a couple of people go to different sessions, maybe on the same topic, as we were saying, intonation, everybody's going to be breaking down a score somehow, and you cause discourse, because you're going to talk at the end of the night, and if you don't, you should talk at the end of the night. Always. Um, but like it causes further conversation and then it also breaks down idolization. Mm. Unless you have an echo chamber with you, then you should fix that before you come. Amen. Your friend should not be an echo chamber. Amen. Your friend should challenge you in every aspect of your life. But you know, you're so right that it's so easy because this is one of the first things I was told when I went to my first National Food Association conference by a good friend of mine is they were like, you might be all doe-eyed and you know, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But you will realize, first of all, these people are people just like you. And some of them are not to be idolized in any way. You may meet them and go, oh my gosh, I don't want to be anything like this person because it happens and it really sucks the first time it happens when you meet someone who you think is doing exactly what you want to do. They remind you of yourself, all these things, you get to meet them and it's a bummer because maybe they're, they just suck <laughs> as a human being. Well, maybe they all the things that they've talked about that they do they don't actually really mean those. Those are not their actual values. So having people there to also, whenever you hear that middle school who is killing it and they're so disciplined and you think back to yours, you go, my students don't even want to be there. I don't even have a tuba. I did all these things. You have to have people who remind you that this is just what this is one situation. This is one perspective, right? But we all know there are le- there is layers and layers and it's a spectrum of actually what the field is. And we cannot just 
base ourselves off of that. Now, they can be standards that we may want to look towards and have, but not you're not going to have that everywhere. And that's okay, I would say. <laughs> I think that is okay that not every single band is playing that high caliber of music, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just saying, yeah. Well, I was just going to say to piggyback on that is if you do find somebody who you're like, oh my gosh, like, I really like what they're doing. Say, hey, can I talk to you real quick? Because the thing with Midwest, everybody's just walking around and everybody's just a human. Like, hey, John, what's up, Eric? You know, like, can I talk to you real quick? And pull them aside and just like, can you tell me what is your structure for running your program? Like, what are some of the things that make your program you? Because I'm trying to, I have this situation and I just want to make it better. Mm. And like, for me speaking, this is like a, my first hand experience of um, when I was teaching, I remember before Midwest, I was really kind of down. I was just like, after marching band season, after Christmas, like you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, like, is it summertime yet? But then I went to Midwest and I heard all the like educators be excited about teaching and all of these different little tactics. I'm like, I can take this back and maybe this and this and this. And then when I actually got back to my program back in January, I was way happier. Like, I'm just like, I feel like I have been rebranded in a way. Like, I'm here is the best way that I can be as a teacher. So you get little pickets of knowledge and you go back and you take that. Now, with all knowledge, you have to kind of be like a filter. You got to filter out the things that you don't need, but then take the things that you do need. Because again, I don't. I didn't have 500 students in my program, but there were some things that people doing 500 person programs can literally be applied to minds with 50. So you you have to be the determining factor of what you're going to take, always. Yes. <clears throat> also, I love their recent push for chamber music. I'm just gonna plug that in there. Amani mm -hmm. Wins performed last year. The Gateway Brass Collective is not performing in front of the exhibit hall. They're doing a whole concert this year. Like, love that. Go check that out. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like, again, as we have said, there are things that still need to be worked on at every single conference. Like, I literally just saw something on Facebook. Uh, somebody just called out the Maryland Music Educator Association for their lack of um, I guess, um, difficulty in their all-state auditions. Like, there's, I think they were still um, using very, very, uh, I guess, intermediate level uh, kind of music. Yeah, 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 like very simple. And it's just like, what are we doing? Is this really educational for our students? So, yes, every single thing, every conference has their, their, their ups and downs. Um, but I think if you go to find some good things, I think you can definitely do that because they're definitely there. Last piece of advice. Don't feel like you have to go the whole day. God, you do not have to go to everything. Amen. Now, Mark, like, what'd you say, Lauren? We'd recommend not to, actually. We'd recommend not to. Like, look at the calendar. Mark anything you find interesting. Then as you get closer, mark what would actually make a difference in your education mm. or your, like your teaching situation. 
And then you have the stuff that's recommended. If you're like, I could go do one more session today. You have those still on your list, but you have your must hits. Yep. And then you have your recommended. Same thing with all the concerts. Do not sit in every single concert because then you just got, your brain going to be mush. Yep. And then when someone try to carry a conversation with you, you're going to be like, I'm sorry. I cannot talk to you right now. And yes, because conference fatigue is a thing. It is something, it is major because having gone to now like four this summer with like all over the country, it is tiring sometimes networking with people and having to have on the sense of like, oh, I'm open for conversation. But yeah, let's go out for drinks. Yes. It's great, right? There are moments that you'll remember going out that you're like, I'm so glad I went out. I'm so glad I went out with my friends. And that's another reason why we advocate go with your friends. Go with people who know you because there are moments where Anthony and Michael want to go out and I'm like, I, my battery is here. And I, ha and I know myself well enough where I'm like, this would not be a good time for me <laughs> or anyone if I go and they have learned that if Lauren needs to recharge and be at home and like chill at the hotel room, that it's okay. I don't have FOMO. I'm not missing. And if I wanted to, I will just go out and find where they are. Right. But you have to have people who just know you to know what your tells are so mm -hmm. that you're comfortable because it can be an awful experience if you do not listen to yourself. So you can't do everything. You have to pace everyone, no matter like what level battery you are, you are going to have, you need to recharge, period. You know? Agreed. Mm -hmm. um, so I do want to just change the topic a little bit. Um and this goes for really anything. This is a life thing. Um, but what are our opinions on the one word is just tenure. That's mm. one word. But being in a position for a long time and really nothing can really happen to you. You're just in this position. Well, I think this is. First of all, this is a topic that continues to come up not only here, but socially everywhere on, on, you know, on Twitter, there are dis this discourse on it on Facebook. There's always some news event that happens. It feels like every other week about a professor at some prestigious university who has tenure, who there is a sexual assault ca like case against them. Something has happened. You will never ever ever hear me defending anyone who does anything in harm of another person their student especially their students their colleagues their faculty members there's no level of artistic excellence that can say oh yeah it doesn't matter that they did this because they're so good at conducting wagner <laughs> who cares correct truly correct <clears throat> Mm -hmm. so, I, I mean, for me, anytime these cases come up, a lot of this is residue, though, right? A lot of, especially what we're seeing now, because it, it's a lot of older, I will have to say, um, professors who are tenured, who are getting into a lot of trouble. And it's because they've had these practices for forever and they've gotten away with it. Because back in the day, you didn't speak about it. And if you did speak about it, nothing would happen or you'd be like blacklisted from everything you would not get called in to do because they're like, oh they're the ones who snitched on so and so and da 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 these days what i do love is that you can go on social media and post something and it'll blow up to the point where the organizations have to make a statement or have to do something in response to it 
Now, there are still situations where those people are still getting hired, rehired, and they stay in those positions. And I think that is a reason why we're seeing tenured positions go away because they realize that there's too much power in saying we cannot fire this individual. You know, I think tenure in some ways, because we, we can talk about the historical thing of if you if, if the people who have been excluded for a very long time, they have once they get tenure, it's great because they can't be fired just because of, you know, they're they're a person of color or they're queer or they're a woman, whatever they are protected because of this tenure. But the, as soon as you see the good, there's always the other side, which is the bad, which the bad in this case are people who get those tenured positions who want to do really bad things. And then what can you do? You can't fire them. Or if you do, it's this whole nasty legal uh, that no one wants to do. So where do we go? What's what? What's the solution to this? I don't I think the solution that they're finding is that they're just gonna get rid of tenure. They're eventually, they're gonna phase it out to the point where they're like, there's not really tenure anymore, but I don't know. That's just my, that's what it looks like the, the, the trend is going towards now. Cause people don't want full professorships anymore. There's too many, there's now associates and people don't wanna actually give more to individuals. So at least that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, I don't know. So, like, because this this was the thing that we talked about. Like, we talked about this a lot in my master is like tenure, and the reason for tenure, the reason for sabbaticals, is to give professors like academic freedom to not, if they wanted to change some stuff up that that semester or that year, to get fired because it was just different and the, it didn't produce the same amount of results. Because, like, technically, with adjunct positions at most places. You get hired and fired every year. That just happens. Your contract is not re not renewed past, like for me, it's every semester I get a new contract. For other people, it could be a whole year. So like living that life, if you are older, sounds awful. So like tenure for me, I, I mean, I still like the idea because like, Getting to that professorship, even at the assistant level, you finally made it. Great. Here's you have the tenure opportunities in five years. That comes with a promotion as well. And it gives you like once you hit there, you have the option to like, you know, do sabbaticals and do this stuff. But I do feel like we've been less strict on watching people mm. who break ethics and break uh like the moral codes of universities and giving them a chance to get out of stuff like there is ways to get tenure get people fired and it's written in their tenure is ethical financial like all this other stuff i think we just don't read the things and make it happen mm -hmm. i think we're like oh they have tenure whatever like the university is like i don't care if they violate anything no you should care if they violate something and if they do, they are fired, period, done, over. Oh, well, you had tenure, you lost your opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like, and what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of people with tenure lose this, should be losing this opportunity, but now it makes a bad name for something that started with a good reason. Mm -hmm. Like, because we change as people. Like, I'm teaching this year a little bit different than I teach last year. I'm going to teach different next year than I teach this year. But having that little thing of like, I have academic freedom, I can change some stuff. Like, also, what if I go under a hardship and a family member dies? 
my performance is going to drop a little bit. But I have that tenure to be like, okay, I'm so sorry. We can figure out a way, call in some subs and stuff. But you're not going to get fired because your performance level dropped for like a part of semester because of hardships. So like it, shouldn't things, it shouldn't what? be that it shouldn't be that anyway. Like it, it doesn't matter if you have an adjunct professor or associate professor, tenure professor, whatever. Who's if you're going through something, people it should be under an understanding. Like people should not have to rely on tenure to feel like they can grieve properly if they're in a state where they need to grieve or if they have a medical emergency that takes them away it shouldn't be this whole thing where oh i need tenure because i broke my leg and i can't you know do this for a few you know what i mean so that's it's another weird thing that i actually want to push back against because we shouldn't have to rely on this one thing that such a small portion of professional educators ever actually achieve and it's just human decency. It's just something that we all deserve as human beings. So I don't know. Should I think that I, my my issue so far, from what I have seen, and yes, I'm in this academia world, but I, it's too much. It's too much. What I have seen that that is not. I, I maybe it is in the bylaws or whatever, but it's not an it's not evident. It's checks and balances. Like I think everything needs to checks and balances. Who is making sure that these tenured people um, are actually doing what they need to do? Because yeah, you know, ethical, that's fine. But what if they are just holding a spot? Like they're not making the university better. They're not making their students better. They're just here because they have this this tenure, so I'm not going to get fired. So I can just give the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that like I think about as a young 20 person that is in this career, who I'm thinking about my career in the future, of that, yes, I will not get any of these, you know, what they call, quote unquote, the good jobs, because there are people that's been in there for like 25 years who are just kind of gliding right now because they just know they can't be removed. Mm-hmm not even doing the best job and like and not even about myself like I know there are some positions out there right now where I'm like a young person would come in here light some fire up on a lot of people's asses and start to get the ball moving taking these ensembles taking these these just groups to a a new level because it's a, a new unique perspective but these groups will never get to that because the people that are still in charge have been in there since 1986. And, and nothing is wrong with that. I'm not being ages. Nothing is wrong with that. However, what I do have a problem with is that they still are, are continuing traditions like it's 1986. It is 2023. So as a person, like if I'm ever granted the the uniqueness uh, of having tenure and I'm in a position for 25 years, I'm not going to run the program like it's still 2023 when it's 2050. You have to, as a person, continue to grow as well. You have to grow with the times. And I remember like my parents used to tell me that all the time. They're like, yeah, we owe, but we grow with the times. We know that it is not when we were growing up. Like what we had to deal with growing up is not what you have to deal with. So we have to continue to meld with that. That is my problem with people that are in 
these long-term positions of there are they really doing what's best for the students because sometimes now some of them yes they are doing exactly what they need to by all means i love that for you but there are some that i'm like you don't deserve to be here and that's the thing that i want to state is like it's one so I think sometimes people get too often the process and like the outcome very mixed up when we're talking about like tradition and what we actually mean by tradition. Work ethic should be present no matter what. So how you're going about getting results from your students, whatever if you're a instrumentalist, if you are like your work, you know, conductor, the the process of we want to work hard to get where we're going should be present regardless, right? The issue is when the repertoire you're playing could have been something that people are do, had done 50 years before that. That is an issue. That's a huge issue. And it's also because tenure allows people to get lazy. It's very, and it's true because people have started relying, oh, I got tenure, I can chill now. Which is another reason as to why I'm not a fan of it. Like I want, as who I am and how I see myself and my career going, I always want to feel that fire. I always want to feel that there is a next step that I could be taking somewhere. I want to feel pushed. Security and job, great, excellent. That should be there more often than it is. And it sucks that the system is that way. But tenure itself has become such heavier to me on the con side because it's mainly the con side that we're seeing about it there are the pros and we talked about that um but we just need better systems and it is it is often professors who've been there for 20 plus years who are doing the exact same thing with this idea of don't fix what ain't broke but what are you really adding to the university. What are you adding? What, what are your students taking away that they're going to be competitive? Because if my students are out there doing all these crazy things and they're so innovative and thinking, your students are doing this thing, dust flying everywhere because that's all you keep teaching them, they're not as competitive. So if you're not teaching that way, you don't add, you're just not adding, you are literally taking up space. And it's not an ageist thing because there are people who are our age who are still doing the same things because maybe their teacher taught them, the teacher before them taught them. And that is a thing, right? That's a beautiful lineage, I guess, in some ways of what it is, but we always should feel challenged no matter what positions we are. And there are some who do feel challenged in those tenure positions still, but there's a lot who take, get those positions and they feel like this is telling me that I shouldn't change anything that I'm doing. They'd be happy if I stayed exactly the same for the next 25 plus years. Correct. I mean, like, I think I, me personally don't want to see tenure leave because I would like job security. I don't want to like keep signing a contract every three years or five years. Like once I get my job, I want to have my job. I think there should be a system shift, like like performance evaluations. Maybe not like if you're not tenured, maybe every year. Then when you get tenured, every three years, like just something like that. Or the people who are judging these tenure things, like people who are ch checking in on tenure faculty, who are like doing all this stuff. Like I prefer like 
when people go for tenure, there's an outside review committee and an inside review committee. I like both because the outside goes to people who hold your position at different universities who've been tenured to judge and see if you are doing your job correctly. Like those, I love it. Yes. And then like an inside is one well, because you need to make sure they're doing the right on the inside. Because I've seen so many people, as we all said, get tenure. Like there was, there's people holding these university jobs, tenure, that literally do nothing. If you become a director of the School of Music, you automatically get a tenured faculty position, like with your job. So the minute you're fired from being director, you have a tenured spot and they cannot fire you from that. I've seen people hold on to that, correct, collect their director of the school of music salaries and just stay there. Because guess what? <laughs> they try to be director and it sucked. Like that, I'm sorry, you can come in and be director of school of music. I'm not going to give you this tenure faculty spot though. Why would I do that? That's not your job. Your job is to be director of school of music, not a tenured faculty member. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff in higher academia that's a little weird. Like I found that very weird when I found that out about director of school music gets a tenure faculty spot the minute they get hired. I'm like, I don't like that. But like, as we've been talking about this, I've been thinking like, why do we operate this way in general in academia? Because like, I work at the symphony and I sign a contract and I'm just, I know every year that I have a job until they have reason to fire me. And that's, Kind of how it is at all jobs, right? Most besides I was about to bring up, like, this is a departure from, like, public education. Like, first of all, everything kind of stems from public ed. And technically, do you re-sign a contract every year? Yes. However, Mm -hmm. it is kind of like, unless, like you just said, Lauren, unless there is some big factors which again um, would be like if my um, principal came in and did my teacher evaluation and I completely sucked, that's the reason for firing. Like you're about to be fired, which I'm really questioning of why ha- why isn't that system more of a system in higher academia? Because it's like- You, need tenure. you would not need tenure. You really wouldn't at, at that point. Because again, in public education, uh, there are still people that have been there for 35 years, but guess what? They've been kept on their damn toes. Exactly. So they still have job security unless you're just not doing your job. And right. see, I think that the, the tenure thing, you cannot just do your job and still be like, I'm still about to be here teaching and I'm still about to do nothing. So I, I, my question would be, um, since higher academia is just an extension of public schools, specifically secondary, because obviously elementary, middle, high school, college. Why, mm-hmm. are, why are we trying to invent this system that is so, I guess, opposite of basically everybody that you came up before in public school? Um, and it's funny what you, you said, Lauren, about, oh, don't change uh, what ain't broke. Guess what? In 20 years, I promise you, you did not have this many students that that identified as the way they identified 20 years ago. Exactly. Correct. So that proved that 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 sentiment right there of shit does change. Yes. Simple. It it changes, 
And it is really ignorant and really unprofessional and uneducational for you to continue just to sit there and be like, well, I've been teaching like this for 25 years. I'm going to continue to teach like this for the next 25 years. That, that don't work. It does not work. And especially with this newer generation and even our generation that is demanding that you respect who we are and respect exactly what, what we intend for ourselves. Now, a couple of years ago, um, it was it was kind of you just come in, you learn what you learn, and then you you move on. But nowadays it's like, uh-uh. If you, if I don't feel like you are giving me the the necessary education for myself, then I don't need you. And that's simple. Well, and that's another reason why, like, and I, I remember hearing these all the time, and I never did a single one in college. But like these course evaluations, like if people truthfully filled out, truthfully filled out their course evaluations, I wonder if some of this stuff would have changed. Yeah, well, it depends on who's reading the course evaluation. Well, that's what I'm saying. But like if you get 20 people in the studio saying, I am learning nothing every year, something has to change. Something definitely changed there. But I mean, I, I'm a proponent for um, just like in public school, you have whatever, whoever your boss is to come into and observe your class. Correct. And let me see. Let me see some lesson plans. Don't do lesson plans. But let, let me see that you prepared for this. Let me see how you did this. And then let's talk about all the things of that, because I'm sitting here like I know professors mm-hmm. who used to cuss at their students, yep. used to make inappropriate jokes, who would really not have the best ensemble experience mm-hmm. for their students. But they still send exactly where they at. Or people who don't produce any results, like with their students, like not a single one. And of course, that's different depending on who you are, what are results for kids. That That is whatever the school determines that to be. Now, that's because we're not just saying, like, oh, they have to come be the next orchestral, you know, trumpet player. That, look, that that's what yeah, people should be leaving with jobs. Some students close some things. But really no, like, I'm not talking about professional jobs. I mean, you could be a freelance is a job. Like, are you making money doing your art? Like, that's it. Like, are you making money okay. doing what you did with your degree? We all got some people who are yeah. graduating because they weren't prepared properly going to Red Lobster. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what I mean. Like, those are the results. Like, if you're graduating, going to be a freelancer, you're making money. Great. That's a check. You graduate with your four year degree and you're not even doing anything in music. And it's not because you couldn't. It's not because you didn't like music in the end. That's what I'm saying. Also, I think a big thing is like recruiting. Like these old people who ain't got a lot. You conduct an ensemble for two days a week, bitch. Go recruit. Mm. Go recruit at least one day. Well, I think on the topic of, of success is really somehow have some type of, of form that says, okay, how um, did we set this student up for success? Because yeah. I think that's what we should be doing as educators, not really focusing on I need to get my students to place here is did I set my students up 
to be successful in whatever they do. Because even, I mean, I had this, I had this philosophy when I was teaching high school. I'm not expecting every person to go be a music education major. And honestly, teaching college, especially like as a director of bands, I'm not expecting all of my students to be uh you know, go into conducting or, or go be a band director. Because the thing is, the life that we live now, they're not making the money that they need to be paid by being a band director, by being a, a, a you know, a professional musician, a freelancer, whatever. Because you know what? Some people would go through these four or five years in this degree and be like, I want to make six figures on my first day. This was a great experience. But guess what? They can say, I learned so much through my four or five years here that set me success to now work at work from home, get six figures and still be successful. So mm-hmm. to me and in my, in my head, that's a successful student because you took the necessary things that you learned and you applied them. So to me, that, that it depends on your version of success and getting jobs. Because like I said, in 2023, we can all say all three of us know that we need to be paid more than what we are getting paid currently right now. Thousand percent. Oh my gosh. So, and, and I think it I think it, it is kind of belittling to us to always say, oh, this is what you need to strive for. Because inflation is going up, gas prices going up, rent is going up, all of this going up. You know what's not going up? Our salaries. Yeah. So I would feel really bad if I continue to just say, well, you got to get this job. You got to play in this. You got to mm-hmm. conduct this. Uh, I'm trying to feed myself. I'm trying to have my lights on. You know, I'm trying to have air condition. Right. So I, I think that they're right. There is a little is a little different because that I think when we, when we have these like you have to do this, it comes from a level of privilege of just mm-hmm. saying, I can still, even though I might, you know, go do this over here, but I, I've maybe got a husband over here who can still supply my life. And not somebody who's had to claw their way up, pay themselves through college and probably have student loans on student loans. And then I got $100,000 of student loans and now I'm getting paid $25,000 a year. Ooh. Yeah, it's crazy. The math is not mathing in that. In that. No, and th- like that's a, and that's a whole other topic of like we the the undervaluing of education. Like, well, first of all, we all value education in this country. Education is so important. And then when you look at the bank statements, education's not that important. Why is um? Oh, why is a assistant football coach who teaches weight training making more than the math teacher, than oh, the band heart. teacher, oh, by than heart. the science teacher? And and that as assistant football director, whatever, is coming up here and sweatpants. If that flip-flops. Slides. Ain't no teaks. <laughs> ain't no annual performance evaluation. Yes, like what? what, what where is the annual review? Because I need to be on this review committee because I remember when I was teaching, them football coaches, they used to, one, show up late, show up with some good McDonald's. Right. Show up with a good Starbucks. 
Oh, because I don't teach first period. Well, bitch, you need to be in the building like every other teacher. Okay, I didn't I didn't have a first period, but I had to be in my room. But you don't do athletics. That's that's another thing. Like we cannot value one thing out of a whole school more than the other. Amen. Like and they have been, they're going to continue to do it. And what's crazy to me is they always justify it by, oh, the football team brings us pride or it does this wow. or they do this, they do this. I want you to watch one movie without any music. Mm. I want you to go to a museum with no art. When you drive to work, don't put on a podcast. Don't put on any music. Don't go watch your Netflix shows. Because guess what? Those are artists who put all all the shit that you consume all day long. And you think that it's just not a normal. Imagine if all of it, poof. You don't have music at your football games anymore. You don't have someone who's designing your team's costume or your team's like uniforms and everything. Because let's really talk about how deep, art is within this society and we don't recognize it enough so you talking to your students and telling them that no the science team you we don't won't give you enough money for new beakers in your lab we won't give the the math team new like trig sets we're not going to give the band students more instruments but you supply everything and more to your athletic students because you think they're the ones who are bringing you pop pride all these nike sponsorships adidas sponsorship and high school for teams that go one and nine. Be serious. Girl, Girl like it, you can give incentives. I love a good incentive. But like give it for everybody. If the math team wins state, that math teacher gets a little incentive. If the band wins a competition, that band director gets an incentive. If the football team happens to not go one and nine and win a state championship, oh, well, here's your incentive. Incentives should be across the board for everybody because there's activities and everything. But like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But like, what if all national, they said, "Mm, here's the cap for a high school football coach. Mm. Girl. They better start Ubering. Well, door dashing. I mean, we're always going to have these topics because it's look, it's been like this forever. And uh, until somebody really just raises some hell, it, it's going to unfortunately just be like this. But I think we really got to have conversations to really check mm. all of these inequities. Um, in all of our education system, from elementary school all the way up into the collegiate uh, higher academia realm, like we have to have some type of check and balances. Um, but for now, that is our little topics. That's our opinions on these topics for today. It was cute. So thank you so much for tuning in to our first episode back of season four. Please check out our website and follow along because this season is going to be jam-packed. So we hope to see y'all next episode. Bye.